We thank you for a beautiful exchange. We thank you for taking our poverty and giving us your riches. We thank you for taking our sin and giving us your righteousness. We thank you for taking our ashes and giving us your beauty. We thank you for translating us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. We thank you for taking us from slavery into sonship. We thank you that we can call you Father. And we pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion tonight in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow, I'm so excited for another discussion. And as I said, it's a very long or it's a long episode as compared to other episodes. So we have been looking at rightly dividing from 2 Timothy 2.15, an instruction from Paul to the church. And he still has studied to show thyself approved, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. So just as an engineering student who studies his materials, a lawyer who studies books, yeah, the constitution and all that documents, the way they compare what that one says, that same effort that we put into these things is the effort that the workman, remember in Ephesians, we are God's masterpiece, God's workman. As God's workman, Paul is telling us that we should study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. So the issue is that we must study the Bible. So what we are discussing may look plain to that, oh, small thing I want to know, I have to do all these things. Yes, small lawyer you want to become. And the issue is that you won't study law in heaven or you won't take law in heaven and you retire from being a lawyer. You retire from being an engineer. You retire from being a doctor, a pharmacist. But you don't retire from being a Christian. So if you are willing to invest that energy, that diligence, going to the library, and by the way, thumbs up to all those who went to the library, especially in university, Charlie. You are the real deals. <laughs> Some of us, our rooms were enough for us. Mercy. But then, yes, we need to study. And we are looking at some things, how to study, some of the things to take note of. And I think from our first episode, one thing that we realized was that God used holy men and that the scriptures were inspired by God. All scripture was inspired by God. And it's very important. And the scripture has to do with the graphene. We have studied this before. And the graphene is the written word. And just a word of reminder, not all the happenings in the Bible were inspired of God. I think some of us get confused. So when Cain was killing Abel, that activity was not inspired by God. When Samson was sleeping with a prostitute or was doing whatever happened with Delilah, that event was not inspired by God. But we are saying that the person that was instructed to pen down these things, those people were the ones who were inspired. It's important that we are pushing. Because when the Father Bible is describing something, it doesn't mean that the Bible is prescribing something. And we have looked at various things. And I believe by now, the few things we have learned, we should try to apply. A very common one, talking about context. And by context, I gave various things about context. So please, you can go back and look at it. One of the important things that context will help us appreciate is Daniel, when he was praying. 
you know, the angel told me that the first day you began to pray, God heard you. But when I was bringing the answer, the Prince of Persia withheld me. So the issue is when we pray, when we pray, when we as children of God pray, when we as the offspring of the work of Jesus pray, can principalities withhold our prayers and context will help us appreciate this thing. And this context, I'm talking about the dispensation. And I gave various things about context. So these are some things that we should be able to, by now, be able to answer gradually. And last week, we looked at translation. And we looked at cultural elements and translation. That's very, very important. And I gave the example of a man not wearing a woman's clothes. And remember, I told you that you should not interpret the scripture based on your culture. Because as at the time God was telling Moses this, they were not wearing trousers. Please, Moses never wore trousers. Even Jesus did not wear trousers. How much more Moses? So that scripture has nothing to do with trousers. And I made it appreciate the fact that that scripture had to do with the fact that a man should not wear things that pertains to women. And a woman should not wear things that pertain to a man. And that thing had two direct implications or two direct but there were two things that God was actually referring to. One was that women should not engage in battle because it was something that the Egyptians were doing. And God was trying to um, unlearn what they had learned from Egypt. Like, I think that's the only one I gave. But another reason why God told them that, that a man should not wear what pertains to a woman and a woman should not wear what pertains to a man is because of the fact that they were entering the promised land. And you know that the promised land was inhabited by people already immoral people and God told them that so that they'll be able to identify the immoral people now during those times there was a lot of homosexuals at play we know this from the story of Lot we all know what happened to Lot and the last scary story in the Bible in Kings that's one of the most nastiest stories I've seen in the Bible in Kings if you know you know but one of the things that God was telling them was that the reason why a man should know what pertains to a woman and a woman should know what pertains to a man is to make a clear distinction between the holy people of God and those who are no holy, particularly in the terms of homosexuals. Because one of the fletcherous things, the thing that the homosexuals used to do to flirt in town was men went closer pertaining to women and women went closer pertaining to a man. So God was just gradually informing these people that the land they are going into, this is what they do. And you people have called out people as we were delivered out of Egypt to be a nation of priests unto me, you are not supposed to dress like that. So that statement had nothing to do with the wearing of trousers. And even if you read that chapter, I think Deuteronomy 22, there are so many things listed there, but somehow we are only selecting the ones that we think suits our doctrine. That's why one of the things we learned is that you should read for understanding, not from your understanding. Because if you read this scripture for understanding, you will know that this scripture had very little to do or has absolutely nothing to do with trousers. But because we have an understanding, we are just looking for Bible to buttress our points. And we are continuing with our study. We look at translation. But then before that, just to buttress the point on the need to study, to be able to rightly divide, because the fact that it's a scripture, the fact that it's an instruction, doesn't mean that it is necessarily truth. It's only truth when it is rightly divided. And I give the example of when the Pharisees came to ask Jesus. And you know, he was able to answer these things. And this thing will clearly give us an answer to the issue about how do we handle the thing about law and peace, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So let's just look at one. This week, I'll just go over it again. I thought it's why that. Let's just look at it. Matthew chapter 19, verse 8. Let's start from verse 3. 
And you know, those days, these Pharisees were learned people. I hope you know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were learned people. Learned, like they knew the law, ditto, ditto. Like they knew, like if it's not, they will call them emeritus. <laughs> if there's something higher than emeritus, that's how learned they were. So these people, they brought a question. And you know, they have brought several questions. One was about the woman caught in adultery. And they posed a question from the Lord that the Bible is saying this. So the fact that the Bible is saying something that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It's only truth when they're rightly divided. Matthew 19. Look at this interesting discussion. Verse 3. The Pharisees came also unto him, tempting him and saying unto him. So this one collected their motive. And this is what happens to many people. Many people that have issues with the Bible, their motive is not to learn. Their motive is to look for issues with the Bible, to discredit the Bible, to find out contradictions, to just bring up a certain argument. Many people that come to us, they are not coming because they genuinely want to know, like Nicodemus. People are coming like the Pharisees. The Bible says, and they came to him, skin to tempt him. And almost every time the Pharisees came to Jesus, that was their motive. In the case of Caesar, giving to, is it right to pay tax? The preceding verse that and they came tempting, they wanted to find an issue with Jesus. So they brought the thing about tax. Because they know immediately Jesus says something against taxes. Then they can report Jesus to Caesar. Naturally, this man is not paying taxes, inciting people not to pay tax. When they brought the woman caught in adultery, that was the same motive. And here again, verse 3 is telling us that the Pharisees came to him, tempting him saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he gave his answer. We will look at the answer. Then verse 7, I was supposed to do that. And when you give an answer, this is the way they always respond. They said unto him, then why then did Moses then command to give a writing of divorce and to put her away? So you see, the issue was that Jesus told them something that sounded contrary to what Moses or the law had told them. So the first thing is that, ah, it's in the Bible. Why are you guys eating meat? Or why are you eating this type of meat? It's in the Bible. That do not do this. Why are you doing this? It's in the Bible. Don't do this. Don't do You get it? So the same thing the Pharisees were doing, that we are saying that we should do something. But this is not what Moses said. Now, the answer that Jesus gave is what I love so much. But before that, let's just read now the verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, have you not read? So you remember? What the Pharisees brought was something that was written, and that means they had read it because it was in the scrolls, it was in the Torah, it was in the scriptures. But he said, Have you also not read that he made them at the beginning male and female? This is very interesting. There's so much loaded. Ah, but you let's see. He made them at the beginning, or at the beginning, let's take note of that, at the beginning, male and female. And for this cause shall a man, blah, 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 that's verse 5 and 6. Now the verse 7, but let's go to the verse 8. And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart. That's all I want us to notice. Moses, because of the hardness of your heart. The first thing I want us to notice was that there are some things that God told people to do, not necessarily because it was the perfect rule of God for their lives. And that's why we must rightly divide. That's why we must study. So God was telling them that the only reason why Moses or God instructed Moses and the reason I'm putting like that, the only reason why God instructed Moses to give them instructions is because of the state of their hearts of people. And that's one thing we should look out for in reading the Old Testament. And that's why people think that God has changed. God had never changed, or God has never changed. The same God in the beginning, the same God now. But putting that the God, particularly the God of the Old Testament, was meaner or was mean, he was strict, he was wicked. Like, Charlie, you fool now, he's giving it to you. No, it's the same God. But the people that he was dealing with, they have changed. That's why Jesus, in the beginning, 
That means that this was the perfect will of God. This is the idea of God. But something happened that caused the hearts of men to be hardened. So you realize that the God has not changed, but the people he's relating with, they have changed. That's the issue about dispensation. You know that God changes his dealings. His dealings are always the same. But because the people he's relating with, it's like if they're parents. Your child is your child. At a particular season of the child's life, you give the child money, tell him what to eat. You give him clothes. Like you decide the child's life for the child. But when the child goes to the university, you don't necessarily tell the child what to eat, even though you may still give the child chop money or pocket money. But when the child finishes school and the child is working, you don't give the child money any longer. So you realize the various dealings of a parent with the child. Has the father changed? No. Has the mother changed? No. What has changed? The child has changed. So when you are two years old and when you are 18 and when you are 30, the dealings with your parents are different. And that's what many of us are reluctant to appreciate in studying the Bible. So you must appreciate that God has been dealing with changing people. So Jesus told them that because of the state of your heart, and this is very, very important in studying the Bible, if you really want to know, this one is a free apple. <laughs> if you really want to know God's perfect will and God's ideal conditions for man, the best place to study to begin with is Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Because that was the state of the world or God's dealing with man before sin. And this is very important. So everything after Genesis chapter 3 to the coming of Jesus, all those things were interventions God put in place because of sin. Rather than one day we do the law and grace. Because Paul said that, and the law was added because of transgression. So that already tells you that one, the law was not God's idea. But because something happened, that's why the law was brought in. So the law was added because of transgression. Sin has come to change a lot of things. Sin changed a lot of things. That's why Jesus was saying that if you wanted to know God's idea about marriage, go to the state of affairs before sin. Because immediately sin entered the situation, a lot of things changed. That is why when Moses saw in the vision that the serpent was talking to Eve, Moses was not afraid to write it. Or if you read like in Genesis 2, look at the instruction God gave Adam and Eve concerning what they were supposed to eat. They were supposed to eat herbs. Nowhere in Genesis 1, chapter 2, did God tell them, eat animals. <laughs> Please, I'm not a vegetarian, I eat meat. But it's just something that is what is there. So the idea was that we're all supposed to eat herbs. And if you study, you would realize that the eating of meat started after the fact. That's when man started to eat meat. So the original intent was that we're supposed to eat just herbs and the fruit of the field. You can go and look at it. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. So it gives you an idea that human beings and animals were living in a very nice environment. That is why in Noah's Ark, the animals were not eating themselves. A lion was playing cats or was playing ludo with an antelope. <laughs> Crocodile was playing football with a whatever animal they eat. So that's why I'm sure when Moses saw that Charlie and the serpent was talking with Eve, Moses was not afraid to write because he knew, I'm sure you might have had an idea that Charlie, this is how things were supposed to be. But you realize how awkward it is now for us to read that a serpent was talking to Eve because we don't know how life was before sin. So sin came to change a lot of things and including the instructions that God gave the people. 
That's one. The second thing was that if you notice the choice of words, that Moses told you these things. It's very interesting. Jesus didn't say it was God that gave that instruction. It was Moses' instruction. So Moses, due to the wisdom given him as a leader, he instructed the people to do some things. It's just like Paul in a Corinthians. Some things Paul wrote that this is what God is telling me to tell you these things. But because of the wisdom and the message I have from God, at least I can tell you some things which will not be far off from the will of God. There are many things in the Bible and in the law that were not necessarily from God, but they were from Moses. For example, if I go to a company, or if I'm the CEO of the company, and I notice a certain attitude, for example, I'll, I'll soon be a CEO, so just relax. you soon see Dollar Company Limited. <laughs> so if I'm a CEO of a company, maybe I notice something in, in the workers. I can bring up an intervention. But this intervention I'm bringing doesn't necessarily need to come from management or the board of directors. But in my capacity as a CEO, looking at the culture of the people I'm working with, I can bring in some things. Maybe you realize that most of your company people are unmarried, who are not married, or you realize that they are who are married. So maybe doing Christmas, a Christmas package should be more of a family something than something that a single person would appreciate. So. Me as a CEO can bring in some interventions, not because board of director told me to do it or the governors told me to do it, but me as my capacity as a CEO, I have the wisdom alone to act. So many of the things, it was not necessarily God that was telling them, but it was Moses acting as the capacity of a leader. So you see all these dynamics coming to play when studying the Bible. And you should factor in all these things when you are studying the Bible. Then we will be able to rightly divide the word of truth. The Bible is actually sweet. It's like I've been the whole research work. If I've written, if I'm in a university, I've done your thesis. As well in Ghana, most of you don't appreciate thesis because it is mixed up with a shadow of plenty lectures. So most of us, we just do copy and paste for our thesis. But if you actually have the energy and the time, and you are doing your thesis, where well, research is really interesting. It's really, really interesting. And it's the same thing that's applied to the Bible. So that was just a little bit of the cultural element. And we landed on translation. And an important thing I managed to appreciate was that the original manuscript has no issue. When Moses was writing, he did not make any mistake. When David, when Paul, when Samuel, when all those who were writing, they wrote what God told them to write. But because of, I gave on last week, the issues about language, so I won't repeat about those things, but I gave basically three, the diversity of language, the limitation of language, and cultural dynamics. All these came into play, and the richness of languages. That's why we have different translations. But one thing you should appreciate is that most of these translations were not done by necessarily spirit-filled believers. Most of these translations were done by scholars, academicians, theologians, not necessarily spirit-filled people. People who were subject to the influence of culture and all those things. And last week I gave the example of a virtuous woman. That what was in the original manuscript is not virtuous. The original manuscript has a strong woman. And I said that the thing you should look out for. So please think uh, <laughs> one of the things you should look out for in a woman is a strong woman. And the book outlined the various now strength. You should not marry somebody who's not emotionally stable. Somebody who doesn't have a grip on the emotions. You should marry a spiritually strong woman, a woman who fears the Lord. You should marry an intellectual woman, the one who's able to reason, who's able to provide helpful solutions and advice in the family. 
You should marry a financially strong woman. And financially strong, I don't mean the, the season in which you meet the person, the person you have the money, but the person is putting the effort. So the person is able to wake up early. She goes into the deep. She's able to transact business. This is a financially strong woman. So what you need in a woman is strength. And you see, if you appreciate this thing, you know that women are not inferior to men. I don't know, this is scripture because of cultural influences. We think of somebody is your help, it means the person is lower than because we have house helps, you know. So we think a help actually means somebody who is inferior. But that's absolutely wrong. Because the Holy Spirit is our helper. So I'm asking you, is the Holy Spirit inferior to you? Absolutely not. God is our helper. So is God inferior to us? Absolutely not. But it's because of culture. And most of the Buddha roots the Bible where people came from a cultural setting that they project manhood over womanhood. And please, disclaimer, I'm not in any way propagating any woman idea. I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. So the God calling woman a help meet in no way means that women are second or are inferior. In fact, they are actually stronger because they come to help us or help a man do what he cannot do. Adam has the limitation and the woman is the solution to that limitation. But you see, when the people, I feel like King James people, when the 70 people that King James um, gave permission to translate the Bible, they just could not um, see themselves writing a strong woman. So they looked for a word that was next to it and they chose virtuous woman. Another example is in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit itself bears witness. We all know that the Holy Spirit is not an it. By then again, these people were not necessarily spirit-filled people. So they did have an accurate understanding and revelation as to who the Holy Spirit is. So in order to be saved, they gave the pronoun it. And we know, for those in the English language, it is mostly referred to an inanimate or something that is not a living thing, something that is not alive. So then this is some of the base that people form the story that the Holy Spirit is a force, is a power, is not a being. Because those who are writing the Bible, not all of them were spiritual. And it's not just about the King James. And this will help us to appreciate the fact that because of these things, that's why we have what we call translational weaknesses. So the original manuscript has no weakness, but because of translation. And I said the main reason is that because most of these people were not necessarily spirit-filled people. So they were translating based on the scholarly standpoint. That's why sometimes you see issues with punctuations. And one of the debates I've really seen, a very controversial debate has to do with comma at, at the cross. When Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. There has been a very interesting debate where the comma comes. Because where the comma comes, change the whole thing. Because if Jesus said, today you comma, you will be with me in paradise. It has a different meaning from Today, you will be with me in paradise, comma. So you know that the comma alone takes the meaning of the scripture or what that verse is saying. And you must appreciate that these things, every Bible, I'm talking about mostly in the English, every Bible translation has weaknesses. So that's the one reason. The second reason why there are weaknesses is because when you are translating something, and this is why I learned it from Bible Society in Ghana, there are a group of people that translate the Bible into the local dialect. And one of the guy was educating, I was listening to a show, and was saying that one of the things we consider in language translation is not just about how accurate the translation is, but one is the naturalness of the language to the native people because of the people you are writing to. So as I said, with expressions, basically. So a particular culture of people, 
some things mean different things to them as maybe in the english culture so that's why even though maybe let's say the original word is the lord is my shepherd maybe because of the people they are writing to the language they write they might not use the direct translation or the accurate translation of the local language shepherd they may use another word because that word is more natural to the people so let's see a common example that i think of is let's say football if you're writing football to somebody in uk you won't use the same word football to somebody in america you preferably use soccer you understand so because of the naturalness of the language to the people if you are translated imagine the bible says hey, jesus went to play football if i'm writing this bible or i'm translating the bible to americans i will not use football i will rather use soccer but then again some translators will rather use football then the issue comes is it football or soccer because you no know, football means something different to an american as compared to somebody in the united kingdom so you see you must appreciate all these things and because of all these factors that is why we have different bible translations and no translation is 100% correct that is why there is a need for us in a bible study to have at least two different bible translations now having said that we must not just have two different bible translations but we must have translations that do not use the same style of writing i know now we are getting a little more technical what do i mean for example the king james bible and those who follow the king james method of translation in their translation they did word for word translation but bibles like the niv and for this study i'll just be using the king james and the niv niv they did context for context translation and this is very important so for example if the king james is translating what they do is that they take the first word in you know translate it in then de the translate de then beginning in the beginning was the word you know translate the word word so they do word by word word by word word by word so that's why most notes the king james translation has a very awkward way of sounding because they did it word by word but the niv didn't do it word by word what the niv translators did was that they look at the verse in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god when they read it then they translate that whole statement so niv used the context to translate but king james used the word for word translation so because of these things at some instances niv will be more accurate than king james and pardon me because i'm a ghanian i can use the ghanian example so let's say um in english they would say he is holding a cup but if you use let's say a language that is spoken in ghana tree though the translation for he's holding a cup sounds like the cup is holding him i don't want to speak tree with the word for word translation it would be like the cup is holding him we get it so niv if niv is translating he's holding a cup if i'm an niv translator i will translate it into tree he's holding the cup in tree but in king james i will write the cup is holding him because king james they do what word for word i hope i'm making sense but niv will read the sentences and know oh this is what they want to see so i remember i said that one thing about translation is the naturalness to the people so in the tree language what is natural to the people is a cup in crown and cup in crown direct translation is the cup is holding him so king james will write the cup is holding him 
by right, he is holding the cup. And because of things like this, it will amaze you that there are several scriptures that have direct opposite meanings in King James and the NIV. I will list a lot for you, but we will just look at one of them, just one of them. Then the rest, I'll just give you the scriptures. Then in our study, we'll look at them. The most common one of them is Isaiah 45 verse 11. If you read what the King James says, you would realize that is the direct opposite of what NIV says. This is Romans 8 verse 1. You will notice that there are some sentences that the King James version has, but the NIV version doesn't have. So it's as though the King James has an, an extra sentence that the NIV did not have. So you are at verse 1 and verse 2 of King James, Romans 8 verse 1 is different from the NIV translation of Romans 8 verse 1. Another example is Genesis 6 verse 16, talking about Noah's Ark. Genesis 6 verse 16. Um, King James uses the word window, but NIV uses the word a roof. And this makes sense because we know the position of a window in a structure. We know the position of a roof. So when we talk about window, we are not talking about the side of a building or the side of a structure. But when you say a roof, we are talking about the top of the structure. So NIV uses the word roof. King James uses the word window. So now the issue is it a roof or a window? And the funny one is that NLT uses the word opening. So when somebody is saying roof, somebody is saying window, somebody is saying opening. So now the question is who is having the accurate translation? Another example, Hebrews 4, verse 8. Hebrews 4, verse 8. NIV uses Joshua and King James uses Jesus. So read the scriptures, you see what I'm talking about. So now, who is saying the truth? Another scripture, um, Hebrews 1, verse 8. Hebrews 1, verse 8. You will notice another seemingly um, contradictory thing from these two versions. Basically, as I said, using the NIV and the King James. So, when people say this thing, then they get confused. And as I said, that the issue is because of language and the translation style that the people employ. So now, if you encounter, that's why it is not advisable to use just one Bible translation in studying the Bible. Because the one I give you, for example, Isaiah 45 verse 11. If you read the NIV, you will get a different information and you do something. But if you read the King James, it gives you something. That means you can do something. And I don't want to say what's about. That's about commanding. Okay, let me just give you an idea. King James tells us that command thee me. But NIV will say, how dare you command me? God was speaking. If you read the King James, it gives you an idea that God is telling you that command me to do something. But if you read the NIV, it asks you the question, how dare you command God? So now the issue is, are we supposed to command or are we not supposed to command? That is why you don't use one Bible translation. So imagine you are somebody who is using just one Bible translation. You will fall for all the errors that that translator made in his translation. Then you would affect how you are able to rightly divide the way of truth. So now the issue is that when you meet Bible translators that are seemingly to say the opposite of each other, what, what do you do? The first thing you can do is that look at the Greek and the Hebrew word to know what was the original word that the writer used. And by the writer, I mean the Moses, the Peter, the Paul, and the rest. 
look at the original word that was used and mostly they'll give you two or three more words that could have the same meaning in the English language. One word can mean for. One word, the same word can mean for. The same word can mean from. The same word can mean in. So the question is, is it for, from, or in? So the first thing is that look at the original tongue. The second thing is the most important one, that look at the context. So for example, for Isaiah 45 verse 11, the way to know is by reading the context. Then you know what God was telling them to command him or how dare you command him. That's the simplest way to know. Because no Bible translation is 100% accurate. So first, look at the Greek and the Hebrew word. Secondly, look at the context. And the context is not just about the context of the scripture, but secondly, the context in relation to the body of scripture. And like the one I gave you about where the comma is supposed to be. Where Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now the comma comes after the today or it comes after the paradise. So then I'm supposed to look at the statement. If it is before comma, does the truth that is revealed, does it fit with the body of scripture? Does it agree with every other scripture concerning that topic? Then you put, if the comma comes after paradise, does it fit with the body of truth? Because remember, okay, I don't think I've said this here, but every single principle, every single truth in the Bible appears more than once, at least twice or three times. So by the word of two, a matter is established. That is why I said you don't form doctrine on just one scripture. You look for two scriptures, and basically two scriptures from different writers and from different dispensations. That's going to be more accurate. That is why you see, so no matter if you are doing all this thing mentally, it takes effort. That is why the Bible is meant to be studied. It's not meant to snort upon when you are feeling bored and just open the Bible. Other than that, you be reading and you realize that you are not making sense. So all these things give us an idea of the effort we are supposed to put in reading the Bible. And the last thing for our study, which I know many have not taken note of, is that when Moses and David and Samuel and Paul and Timothy, Timothy writes the Bible, <laughs> when the writers were writing, they didn't write the Bible in chapters and verses. <laughs> Please. Moses didn't do Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was this and that. Moses didn't do that. It was one long story. The same with Paul's writings. The book of Corinthians was not written in chapters and verses. It was one long letter that Paul wrote. So all the Bible, no Bible was written in chapters and verses. So this should be at the back of your mind when you are reading. So it is one long, so the book of Genesis is one long book. No chapter, no verse. Now, and that will also help us in interpreting and next week we'll look at that. But just to give you why then do we have chapters and verses? It's because it's to help us read the Bible. So in those days, what they used to do was that when Paul preaches, though there was an empire of Berea were more noble, they used to search the scripture. The reason why the Bible used to search the scripture is because, because there was no verses and chapters. So let's say Paul comes to say that Isaiah prophesied that his name shall be called Emmanuel. The government shall be upon the shoulder, blah, blah, blah. What do they do? They start reading from the first line of Isaiah to the last line. So for you to be able to see what Paul is talking about, you must read the whole of Isaiah. That is why mostly people read the New Testament and they want to make reference to something in the Old Testament. They'll be like, the psalmist said in some place, you read the book of Hebrews, the psalmist said in some place. So if you want to know which Psalm, you must read all the Psalms. That's why I come 
the Bible was saying, and they searched the scriptures diligently to know if the things Paul were teaching were so. So you see, to some extent, the use of chapters and verses has come to make us lazy. Because if it wasn't for the chapters and verses, if I'm talking, I'll just say, Prophet Isaiah said, Moses said, but then Moses said, I'm not talking about Genesis or Leviticus or not. We don't know. You have to read all of Moses' books just to see one sentence. And because of that, these people were studious. And because of that, these people knew the Torah. That's why the Pharisees and the scribes also said they were learned. Any scripture you quote, they know where it is found. So when Jesus went to the temple and looked for, and he started to read prophecy that the Spirit of God is upon me because I've anointed me, blah, blah, blah. You know, as if he opened to Isaiah chapter this verse, this. He opened and he found the scripture that was talking about him. He knew that particular line that was talking about him because there was no chapters, no verses, nothing. So to some extent, it has come to make us lazy because we exactly know where it is. We know we are going to chapter this verse, this. And the negative impact, it has affected to some extent a better understanding of what the writer is saying because it has divided it for us. But if you saw the thing as one long essay, we will now read this is the book of Corinthians in the context in which Paul was talking about. So that like Paul was writing one long essay, and in each paragraph he was addressing issues. So maybe Second Corinthians was addressing the issue about resurrection, not addressing about resurrection. So okay, I heard people having issues about communion. Then you write the next paragraph. I heard people having issues about spiritual gifts. Then you write about spiritual gifts. I heard people having issues about uh, a man sleeping with his mother-in-law, and you write all this. So it was one long essay. But because to help us make easy references to certain portions of scripture. So to some extent, that's some of the impacts that the use of verses and um, chapters have come to affect us. Even though it has come to help us to able to easily identify portions in scripture, it has come to make us a little bit more lazy. So that's just a little thing about the Bible in helping us rightly divide the word of truth. So if you want to understand what Moses is saying, brother, start from Genesis. By then we get to Deuteronomy. <laughs> you get a total counsel of the revelation of Moses. Now I want to just spend some time in prayer. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus gave two parables about the kingdom of God. Then after that, the Bible said that, in fact, whenever Jesus spoke in public, he never spoke without the use of stories and parables. But when he spoke to the disciples, he spoke to them plainly and he interpreted what he said. He said, because they have having eyes, they can't see. They have having ears, they can't hear. Spiritual dullness is upon the people. That's why God was speaking or Jesus was speaking to them using parable stories because he knew if he said the truth as it is in his raw state, they would totally not understand anything he said. That's why he had to use stories and parables because spiritual dullness is really a, a hindrance. And remember, the first principle in able to rightly divide you must be spiritual. We want to pray for God that God should give us an ear for his voice because remember, the Bible is the only book that when you are reading, you're having the altar beside you. But because many of us, our, because of our spiritual dullness, when God wants to refer you, that's something that Moses said, the answers in Galatians, something about Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael, the revelation about Isaac and Ishmael, go to Galatians chapter 3. But because of their dullness, we are not able to have a sweet Bible study with the Holy Spirit. But this if they want to pray to God, our Father, and anoint our eyes with eyes, that we may see. 
Lord, give us an ear for you. Lord, may we be sensitive to your leadings. May we be sensitive to your promptings. May we be sensitive to your leadings, your voice, your teachings. Because the Bible said, and when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide us. He will guide us. Father, we pray for grace to be sensitive to your guidance. Even as you aid us tonight in dividing the word of truth. When we read about Philemon, may we hear that voice that tells us that the story about Onesimus is about this, connected to Second Corinthians, you understand it better. Father, may we hear that voice. May we hear that voice because we know that the spirit of truth has come to guide us into all truth. When we are reading Paul's letters, we are finding it so hard to understand. Father, we pray for that voice that we may be able to actually divide the word of truth. Father, every spiritual darkness, every spiritual glaucoma is clouding our eyes, every spiritual blockage in our ears. Father, we plead your mercy. Father, take it away in the name of Jesus. We pray for clarity of our hearing. We have a clarity in our city that we may hear of the riches of your word because these your words, they are life unto those who find it and they are medicine unto our flesh. We know when we rightly divide this word, they will become medicine unto our flesh. They will become life for us. We pray most importantly that we will pay the price of studying the Bible. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen. Oh, thank you for being around and you are going further. Next week, we'll be looking at the Old Testament. We'll be looking at the Old Testament, how to rightly divide the Old Testament. Maybe we we'll do the New Testament and we'll bring our study to an end. I know it's a long journey, but I believe it's an interesting one. Feel free to ask any questions. Feel free to seek clarification on our Telegram channel, The Household of the Father Podcast. If you are listening to us um, on Apple Podcast, on Podbeam, on Anchor, on Podcast into which as you can find us on telegram asking the questions seek clarification we are studying this thing together because as i said they are life if you can find this if you can find the sweetness of the word of god they are life to us remember to give god your best and make sure that the only thing you owe any man especially your employer or your employee <laughs> is love see you next week and bye-bye Bye.